This is Marriage to the Max, episode number 20. 20. Another episode of Marriage to the Max. I'm your host, Kelly Hurst. And I'm her husband. And we are marriage educators and co-founders of Home Encouragement. And this podcast is designed to help you take your marriage to the next level. Our hope is simple. It's to encourage you in your marriage relationship. We believe that healthy marriage should be a front burner conversation, and we are here to help that happen. And can you believe it's been 20 episodes? Um. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes uh, more rough along the way than others. Oh, but, uh, I've had a, a really good road, time so far. Fun. It has been fun. Well, today's episode, we will be discussing Conflict 201. A few episodes back, it was actually episode number 10. Okay. We hosted an episode called Conflict 101, where we dealt with just a few aspects of conflict management. And so today, we thought we would dive in a little bit deeper and take a look at some conflict styles and also a few tips to help you manage your conflict um, in a little bit more of a healthy way. Wait, and we say conflict management rather than resolution because? Because according to John Gottman's research that says that 69% of your conflict is unresolvable mm-hmm. um, on average on average that that means that there's going to be some conflict that keeps coming up which we will unpack in just a moment nifty but before we do i wanted to tell a story that we've told many times to friends and family that is one of our little well-known stories about conflict is this going to embarrass me no because it never embarrasses you because you are a sanguine temperament meaning that you like fun attention. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, okay, so many years ago when we had been married, maybe five years, I think, because Sarah was probably about three years or two, two or three years old, I guess. And we had reached that point in our relationship where it was dawning on us that we had to work at it. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And we couldn't just get by on the chemical fog. We weren't newlyweds anymore. And it was like, okay, we really need to sort of build this thing. And so I went out and bought a marriage book. It was, a, I think, a Gary Smalley book. Yes, it was. I, I don't remember. remember the title. I never remember the title. Making Love Malass Forever. Malass. <laughs> Malass. M- it made a huge impression on us. But yeah. anyway, so I went and bought that book and decided that I just had this brilliant idea that we would read together this marriage book in bed at night before we would go to sleep. Uh-huh. Sidebar, that is a terrible idea. So don't ever try to force your husband to read in bed with you about a marriage book. It's just not probably going to work. And so instead of buying two copies, I bought one copy and I thought, well, we'll just take turns reading aloud and the other person will just absorb all this fabulous marriage stuff. And so I'm reading and like you were kind of like just tolerating the whole thing. You were not really into this I'm like, sure oh, right, whatever and so we had read for I don't know two or three nights and 
I'm reading this story at the beginning of this or part of this book where Gary Smalley is talking about this woman named Norma who's unhappy in her marriage. And he's a, you know, big time counselor and so meets with people all the time about their marriage. And she's, you know, saying this sad story about she's been married 20 something years. She's unhappy. She just never anticipated that it would be like this. Mm -hmm. And but she was in it to stay. But she was just resolved that she was going to be in this unhappy marriage and poor Norma and all that. And so right as I'm finishing the story, I hear this ever so slight snore next to me in bed, which was you. And I was so furious that, you know, I slammed the book closed and. I go, Brett, you know, what? He, you're like, what, what? I totally startle you. What, 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 what happened? I said, I cannot believe you're falling asleep when I am trying to save the marriage. Like, I am taking this so seriously, and I just can't believe you don't value me at all, and I, I'm just trying to do all this. And you know what? I can totally relate to Norma. I know exactly what she's talking about because marriage doesn't feel like what I thought it was going to either, and blah, blah, blah. And you know what? I am Norma. And I turn over and turn out the light, and in the darkness I hear, who's Norma? It's <laughs> like this total moment of absolute oblivion. <clears throat> and so it was thankfully one of those moments. You know how when you're so mad, you can either just fall apart laughing or fall apart crying? Yes. And thankfully, <laughs> we fell apart laughing because that was just too funny of a story. And so... We've told that through the years, and it always gets a good laugh. But Okay, so according to John Gottman, who is our favorite marriage researcher, one of them, um, he talks about having two kinds of marital conflict. And you want to tell us what those are? Uh, well, generally, he says that every married couple has uh, you know, problems that are solvable. These are areas of compromise, who's going to do, you know, I'll take the trash out on Tuesday, you take it out on Friday or mm-hmm. whatever. And then another bucket of problems that he calls perpetual problems. And these are these are deeper problems. These are personality-based frequently. These might have a lot to do with how you're wired, mm-hmm. how you were raised, mm-hmm. uh, maybe some deep-rooted personal vow issues that you've carried through your life and so forth. So um, back to what you said earlier, the 69% of conflict that can't be resolved are these perpetual problems. Right. So 31% are solvable. Yeah. Things that you can agree, okay, this is, we may look at things differently, but we can solve this. Mm-hmm. The 69% of the stuff that, that are basically, you're going to be fighting about 20 years from now. Right. Something to look forward to. Yes. And so one thing we've discovered when we work with couples is that everyone has a default style of how they deal with conflict. It's probably something you learned as a kid or it's something that works with your temperament or whatever. We all have a way or one or two or three ways that we deal with conflict. And so here are some of the common conflict styles. The first one is to bring up several issues at a time, which... You mean to pile it on? To pile it on. And I, again, I don't want to throw the girls under the bus, but I do think this tends to be a little bit more of a female issue. And I don't know why that is. I don't I, know... I think it might be because what we've talked about before that stereotypically that women are generally seem to be more verbal than men are. So... They can just kind of pile the stuff on. and They can rapid fire it. Exactly. And men aren't quite as quick to do that typically. And the other thing we tend to do is we hold on to stuff and Mm. we don't bring it up as it happens. Right. And so two months later, 
our husband does something that really ticks us off and then 12 issues come spewing out like a fire hose and it's not a fair way to fight because uh-huh. no one can defend themselves against, you know, eight different issues. Right. And so we try to talk with couples about, you know, A, bring stuff up as it happens sure. so you're not sweeping it under the rug and piling it deal, on. Deal with it right then. Yeah, but to deal with one issue at a time mm-hmm. in a fight. I mean, mm-hmm. that's really the only fair thing for the other person. Mm-hmm. So no, what's I, the next one? Another common problem is to change the subject uh, when you're in conflict with counter accusations in other yes. words just to go off in another why are you laughing <laughs> we're laughing because this is my default style yeah. well, you don't do this anymore but not as the, much but it's still there when we were younger you would kind of throw it back and go, well if it were you and yeah you would make something well what do you think you would have done in that situation exactly blah, blah, blah. or just come up with some completely different accusation that had nothing to do with what we were fighting about. Right. So you're really not moving forward if you're doing that. Right. Um, another one is being defensive yeah. in the midst of conflict, which you, you can say this with absolute 100% authority. Defensiveness never moves a conversation forward. That's right. Because all it really does is it just stops. Well, you know, if someone's defensive, they're just not even interested right. in hearing the other person or empathizing with what they're feeling. So basically you have stopped the process of conflict management, let alone conflict resolution. You've, yeah. you've, you've just kept it from happening by, yeah. by becoming defensive. Yeah. It's kind of like if you're playing soccer, which will be my one sports metaphor for this <laughs> podcast series. If you're a goalie and you're playing defense and the ball comes and you stop it, that's what happens when you're defensive in conversation and is you're just stopping everything. Wow. Way Man, to go with brilliant. a sport. I think that's the first Woo! sports metaphor I've ever heard you use <laughs> since we've been married. Way to go. <laughs> How about mind reading? We always talk about this, uh, analyzing the other person. It's a little bit similar to what we were just talking about, but doing other people's thinking. Yeah. Uh, do you remember what I used to say to you in the early years of yeah, our fights? Don't do my thinking for me. Right. Yeah, and don't because, have the whole fight by yourself. Yeah, because I would think that I well, I know you better than anybody. I know exactly what you're thinking. And <laughs> right. so I knew that this was gonna you were gonna say this next and I would end up just having the fight all by myself. Right. And how'd that work out for you? Um not good. <laughs> So the next one is suggesting the other person is being unreasonable. And this is a real killer because if you're, you know, saying to someone, well, you're not even thinking clearly, you know, you're not even making any sense. Right. Oh, that's so, that shuts everything down. Yeah. I think I did that a lot when we were first married. I think you did too. I think you did too. But you don't. All right, what's the next one? Um, Exaggerating or keeping score. We always talk about how detrimental to a relationship it is to be on the point system. The whole uh, 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, you know, talks about love not being that way. Mm -hmm. Love is not about keeping score, and it's about uh, extending grace to each other. And so not only do you not want to keep score, you don't want to uh, blow things out of proportion and make make the issue bigger than it actually is. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people exaggerate because they don't feel like they have enough ammunition 
to just bring the issue to the table uh-huh. or that they feel like <clears throat> their partner might not empathize with them if they just say, you know, it really kind of bothered me when you looked at me funny the other day. Mm-hmm. You know, so they'll go, you always look at me funny and, you know, make the thing bigger than it is. Melodramatic. Yeah, because they don't feel like they the issue is worth bringing up. But it is. I mean, if you're hurt, if your feelings are hurt or you're bothered, bring it up. Right. Using sarcasm is the next point, and that why I had a I had a long way to go on that one. But well, sarcasm is so much a part of our culture. Uh-huh. I mean, it's everyone is sarca- sarcastic here and there, and it's very easy to do it when you're in conflict. But sarcasm is just another form of defensiveness. Mm-hmm. We learn that. And so it really just kind of bounces. When you use sarcasm, the conversation bounces off you and back to the other person. Right. Again, you're not so really you're not moving getting forward. any traction. Acting like a victim or being a martyr, mm-hmm. that is also not productive. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Um, because, well, all of these aren't productive because they're either hurtful or they don't move the conversation forward and nothing gets resolved. But to to be like, well, I'm the one who always has to da-da-da-da, <laughs> you know, like in our Who's Norma conversation, you know, I felt like I'm the one who's saving our marriage, <laughs> you know, blah, blah, blah. I wasn't giving you any credit for that at all. You know, when you play the victim or the martyr, you're not sharing the relationship. Hmm. Someone's trying to wear too much responsibility. Hmm. Next point is to uh, be very careful not to speak or act with contempt because that is deadly. Yeah. And how would you define contempt? Uh, well, we've talked a lot about uh, over the years about the nonverbal stuff, you know, the rolling of the eyes and the shaking of the head. That was your big one that you mm-hmm. hated that I did was don't shake that head. Yeah, because we'd like we'd finish a conversation or whatever, and you'd leave the room and be like, you know, shake your head like that was so exhausting. And you'd put your finger out and then go, don't shake that head. I know, because it would communicate to me that I was too exasperating to have a conversation with, that right. it just wore you out. And I just hated feeling like that. Right. So you don't shake your head anymore. No, I try not to. And then stonewalling, which is just totally disengaging from the conversation. You know, sometimes... Men or women get flooded, which is a term that uh, we've used before, mm-hmm. that, you know, it's just more than you can process at one time. Uh, and maybe you do need to pull back and take a break just to do some, do some processing. But stonewalling is when you do that without communicating what you're doing and without returning back to the conversation mm-hmm. for more helpful resolving and resolution process. Yeah, the two rules about stonewalling are just what you said. A, make sure the person who is disengaging from the conversation comes back Mm -hmm. to revisit it. Because otherwise you leave your spouse chasing you around the house. Right. Can we talk about it again? Or, you know... Um, So that's one rule. And then the other rule is that if you do have to disengage, don't do it in a mean-spirited way. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't have to take this. I'm out of here. You know, you do it like that and you're just, you're communicating to your partner that they're not valuable enough to stay in conversation with. So instead, you might say, I'm feeling really overwhelmed by this conversation. Could we just take 30 minutes to cool off a little bit? Or could we just have a timeout to let me clear my head a little bit? That communicates respect versus, I'm not dealing with you, you know. So after laying out several of these, uh, we've find it helpful to ask couples what is their default conflict style. So it's helpful to kind of chew on that together as a couple and say, this is what we 
tend to do. I think you and I know what our tendencies are, Mm -hmm. and that's always been helpful for us. What do you think are the four most lethal styles on the list that we just mentioned? Well, I happen to know what they are because this is also from John Gottman's research, and they are sarcasm, Mm -hmm. contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Right. So those are the four that when we talk about this stuff with couples is we go, okay, if your default is one of those four, Mm -hmm. it's a little more toxic than the other ones. You know, bringing up several issues at a time, that's annoying. It's not going to help you resolve much, but it's not really a toxic It's not a killer like contempt is. Yeah. But defensiveness, Mm -hmm. contempt, the sarcasm piece, those are all things that really, if that's your default, you need to really try to learn how to do something different. Got to avoid it at all costs. Definitely. And you're listening to Marriage to the Max. Welcome back to Marriage to the Max. We're continuing our conversation about Conflict 201. Before the break, we talked about some common conflict styles, and now we're going to take a look at some helpful tips to try the next time you and your partner are experiencing conflict. And the first one is to use I feel words rather than you words. What do you mean? Well, in other words, if I'm upset with you because you've come home late for dinner five nights in a row, um, am I going to communicate that to you best if I say, you are always late, you never think about how I feel, you Mm -hmm. never consider my feelings, or would you hear me better if I said, I I really feel like I'm just not very important to you. Mm-hmm. If you're personalizing it more rather than accusing me, which is going to trigger defensiveness and yeah, and all. it goes back to taking responsibility for your own feelings mm-hmm. and not doing the other person's motives and thinking for right. them. In a similar way, uh, and we've talked about this many times, to avoid using the words always and never because mm-hmm. nobody always is one way and nobody is never. Consider it, you know, as yeah. an example. Those so are really forth. unfair words, I think. Yeah, unfair just, fighting words. It, once, once you throw those words out, that can put somebody in a corner and just say, well, we're, we're not even talking here because right. that, that's ridiculous. The other thing that's helpful is to give each other the freedom to simmer down in the way that's most comfortable to them. And what we mean by this is that not everyone processes the emotion of conflict the same way. Mm-hmm. And so... You and I, for example, you're a pretty quick 
resolver. I mean, uh-huh. once we talk through something and you feel like you've been heard and understood and we've forgiven and all that, you're you're good. You're back to baseline emotions and you're ready to, you know, tackle the next thing. That's how our daughter is. <clears throat> yes, she is. And um, But I tend to be much more of a slower process and we can talk through it. I can feel heard. I can feel listened to and forgiven, whatever. But it doesn't mean that my emotions have caught back up to where I need to be. And so I still might be kind of sad or mm-hmm. even maybe frustrated a little bit. And so we've learned through the years to kind of you've given me permission to be able to say, OK, we're good. Mm-hmm. We're, we're done with this. But I just need to kind of like go take a hot bath or go watch a funny show or something and just get myself back in the right headspace again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. OK, so what if you're the type of person that always has to be right. Mm -hmm. If you're that type of person, might it be possible that you have a fear maybe that your partner is going to try to steamroll over you? Mm -hmm. That could be. And it could also be that you might have been raised in a family where you weren't given permission to be wrong Mm -hmm. or to be mistaken. And maybe that pressure of having to be right or being perfect all the time was instilled in you at a young age. And so it's hard for you to say to even your spouse who loves you, I was wrong or I shouldn't have done that or that was a mistake. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people struggle with that. Right. It's also helpful to identify uh, what your conflict conflict tolerance level is for you guys as a couple. Right. In other words, are you a high conflict type of couple where, where you tend to both raise your voices? Are you low conflict or is one of you high, one of you low? This is so frequently affected by your own family of origin, your background, how you grew up. You know, in our family, we had six kids and we were throwing knives and forks and all kinds of stuff at each other. I mean, we were pretty demonstrative mm-hmm. and that stuff. There was always a lot of action going on. Because were in survival mode. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Six kids vying for attention. Right. Your family had a different... Yeah, we, we didn't tolerate, like, not a lot of conflict was tolerated. So in our house, like, if you got upset enough to raise your voice or scream or slam a door, you were kind of, you could go do that in your room. But that was not really allowed, mm-hmm. um, you know, with everyone else. And so when you and I got married and you were okay with kind of yelling a little bit and not in a contemptuous way, but, right. you know, raising your voice or I would feel like a little bit threatened, like, yeah. oh, my gosh, you know, we can't. Ma- or it seemed more natural to yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. And so what Gottman talks about, and I think this is just genius from his research, is that there's not really a right or wrong way. Mm -hmm. Uh, It depends on what the two of you are comfortable with. So if one of you is okay with yelling and screaming and, you know, slamming a door and the other person is not, Mm -hmm. then y'all are going to have to figure out what works for you. Um, if both of you are yellers and slam the door and whatever, as long as you're not moving into a contemptuous thing where mm-hmm. you're, you know, yelling hurtful things at each other. Because that's never productive. Yeah, that, that that your conflict style, if both of you are comfortable with that, he says, and according to his research, there's nothing damaging about that. Right. Um, but it's it's what feels feels acceptable to both of you. No, good point. And also it's important to avoid a harsh startup what we call it, well, when you get into conflict, mm-hmm. uh, what do we mean when we talk about a harsh startup? Well, a harsh startup is when a conflict discussion leads off with someone being critical, someone being sarcastic, or someone being contemptuous. Um, you know, even if the person isn't yelling, words can carry a lot of negative 
power to them depending on what you say. And you and I experience this a lot. We'll meet with couples for the first time. Frequently their marriage is in crisis and so forth. And we've never met the couple. Mm -hmm. And within five minutes, we can kind of gauge a little bit of what their style is. And particularly if being contemptuous is how they operate day in and day out. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And you kind of lead off with that. And that's what couples that have a harsh startup will just immediately go right into the hard discussion with a harsh beginning. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, even if you start a conversation the right way, the healthy way, in in a loving and respectful way. I mean, you can't control how your spouse is going to receive it or how they're going to respond. That's true. But you have a much better chance of them hearing what you're wanting to say if you don't start out with, you crazy lunatic, (laughs) you know. Right. And then uh, finally, just to learn to understand and accept the concept of flooding, which we talked about before, just uh, the certain temperaments and uh, certain individuals can just process only at a certain pace. And Mm -hmm. so just to be very understanding with that. And if you're the one that is flooded, to be very clear in your communication, okay, I need some time right now to go off and and just kind of cool off or or think about this or get my head straight. Mm -hmm. I promise I'm going to be coming back to the room and 30 minutes or an hour, and we'll revisit, and we'll mm-hmm. talk, but just let me just get my bearings. And it's important to realize, or it was important for me to realize, that in the research, it shows that men have a harder time Generally. managing those kind of emotional flooded uh, conversations. And so typically, that is why more men will stonewall or disengage from a conversation, mm-hmm. because they're whatever, they're just not wired to manage that much emotional escalation. And we women who, you know, again, not all of us, but a lot of us cry like we sweat, you know, (laughs) emotions are not scary to us because we've been dealing with them all our lives. But Uh emotions can be scary to some guys and they don't know what to do with that. And so that feels like, you know, you're just hitting that gas pedal and it's just flooding to them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's been a good thing to learn too. Mm -hmm. Well, conflict management is such a vast topic that we will definitely continue to come back to it in this podcast series again and again. And we'll tackle different aspects and introduce new tools and we'll just kind of keep that conversation going. Oh boy. In the meantime, it's important to remember that conflict is not unhealthy, but you do need to learn conflict management skills so you and your spouse can fight fair. That's so important. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us at marriagetothemax.org. You can also check out homeencouragement.org, or you can email us at thehursts at homeencouragement.org. Also, we hope you will follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, remember, healthy marriage, healthy world. God bless y'all. Too late.